0: Good afternoon, Friends and Traders. Welcome to the Limit Up
1: Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman, sitting down with Jack Peltzer. Jack, how are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal, Dan. Just about the end of my week. And you know where I'm going right after this for the first time in a decade? I don't. You're going to have to tell me. I am I am meeting up with a few old friends at the Skyride.
0: Oh, man. Van
1: Buren. So, exciting
0: stuff there. As you guys can all hear, I have an actual microphone today. So, uh, we got the feedback last week. We talked about it. And I'm glad to be here with a working microphone.
1: Dan, you sound a million times better. I was getting used to you sounding like a tiny man caught in three miles of uh, HVAC tubing, just kind of whispering to me. But uh, this is much better. Look at this. It lights up and
0: everything. I mean, it's a fancy looking little microphone.
1: Nice. Like the uh, pictures behind
0: you, too. Good stuff, everything just better. Well, I have moved locations, I'm continuing to travel in Nashville at the moment uh, for the week, who knows where we'll be next week, we'll,
1: uh, we'll have to wait and see. Nice. Awesome. Speaking of things that are better, Dan, if we talk about today, woo doggy, what a week it has been. Well, I'll tell you what, Jack, I
0: got excited, I said it, said it over the last probably month or so, looking at crude oil, uh, $95 was my, my level. If we can get some acceptance below, that we can see the market hold below, We may start to see the bottom fall out a little bit. Uh, We saw it start to break down yesterday, continues here today. Market opens up right at settlement price right around $91.70. That market broke all the way down to $88 a barrel. I'm very excited about this, um, especially being that I am on the road in a vehicle that gets about 12 miles to the gallon. So that's pretty slick. Um, but equities, on the other hand, really quiet day in those markets. We saw a huge up move yesterday. They stay inside here today. Uh, S&P kind of resolving unchanged. NASDAQ working its way towards uh, overnight highs and looking to settle just a little bit up there. The talk of the town, though, on uh, up moves. Pretty interesting stuff's happening here. You've got gold and the euro tearing to the upside. And I say tearing. I mean, really big moves here um, all night long. We got a great opportunity, though, when I look at the gold market. Really a great opportunity right off the open. That market pulled back down to, um, looking at our 30-minute charts, it pulled down into our 30 uh, EMA. Really great bounce there. Good opportunity for a buy. We're looking for the weakness in an uptrend market. We found that weakness. We got a great opportunity to buy and take that trend all the way up over 1810. Good opportunity there. And 10-year note, quiet day, but uh, making moves to the upside.
1: So really some good opportunity across the board and hope a lot of people were able to take advantage of that. Looking at that gold chart, I don't trade a lot of gold. And by that, I mean I don't trade any gold. But looking at that chart right now, it just has my other indicators on it. And just looking at this year, That's maybe the primest example of a a golden cross and a death cross working out. Like, I'm just looking at this right now, and it just, that 50-day moves above the 200-day moving average, and it takes off, moves below. It got crushed. Now we're kind of going back through it again. I'll be keeping an eye on that. So, obviously, the big story here has been equities, right? I mean, what a week. Whether or not this is a bear market rally or the bottoms in or a short squeeze it's really something and i'm going to stick to what i was saying last week about kind of watching around that 4200 level which would put us firmly above the last kind of uh, takeoff before things got crushed in uh, mid-june beginning end of june and because i think that's where fomo raises its head right i think right now the people with money on the sideline aren't too concerned yet with that because everybody seems to think growth is slowing this is gonna go down people are just getting squeezed but if it keeps on going up might be time to put some more uh irons in the fire so to speak so that is what i'll be watching out for dan
0: i i think you're spot on jack there's gonna be a lot uh a lot happening i said it last week and i'll say it again here today i'm i think midterms are gonna have potentially a good To a big effect on the equity markets, I shouldn't say good, but a big effect on equity markets, uh, depending on the outcomes there. Um, And I think leading into it, right, like we all know how politicians are. They want to, if they're currently in office, they want to do everything they can to uh, earn some more votes going into uh, going into the midterm. So we may see. some things come back into the uh, the civilians' favor here as we see oil starting to come down. Maybe they'll start to try and push some legis- legislation to see oil continue to come down to say, hey, look what we did while we were in office. We got oil down over the last year. You know, there, there's going to be some opportunity,
1: um, and I'm excited about it. Well, I forgot just how long this war in ukraine has been going on with oil in the last couple days crashing through the 200 day moving average which is up there around oh 90 as you said 95 your level right there i don't know if that's coincidence or just something that you are picking out of air i've been looking at that level for quite some time yeah well there it is it's really going to be fascinating as you said moving through the rest of the year we're out of the driving season here whether or not the oil keeps on this new trend, which is weird to say that it's going down, but it's been, you know, it topped out on the most recent rally at about $123 a barrel. And just like the market, it's the same turnaround there. Uh, Mid-June was the high. It's been kind of peeling off ever since. So we'll take a look at that.
0: Yeah, let's keep an eye on it. I mean, obviously oil over the last couple of years has been on this trend higher. so I'm excited to see it coming back. You know, $55 is really my benchmark for barrel of oil. It's where I like to see it. I'm happy on both sides because that means people are working still. Um, and
1: we're paying a really fair price for uh, gas at the pump. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. One extremely important note before we head to the topic du jour. Two actual uh, notes. One, watch out. Next week, I believe, we have the CPI number where... My prediction of lower, better come true, or I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself. You I gotta give me to five quit. bucks if it doesn't, right? I Is gotta that, give that give the you $5? five dollars? Bucks. I'll take it further than that. I think I might just have to like quit my job and <laughs> become a wandering nomad. Uh, That's what I'm doing like a monk right now, or something Jack. Like that.
0: I'm all, you all over the place.
1: What? And yeah. That's what happens when the uh, market, when the ES hit four thousand, you had to do it. So I had to hit the road, hit the road as well. <laughs> but uh, definitely keeping an eye on that CPI number next week. One would think, with how much things have, commodity prices have reduced, and all this other stuff since the last one, that it would be down. But who knows anymore? Numbers are all crazy. The second thing, quick plug, it's the uh, Top Step 10th anniversary birthday uh, campaign right now. So check that out. We had a whole coach's playbook about it this week on Tuesday. There's your plug. And to get to what we're doing today, Dan, which is a topic that I am really excited about. You ready for this? I'm pumped. I am pumped as well. We're just going to talk through how risk management works at a prop trading shop or any professional operation. Now, granted, Dan and I are gonna talk about our own experiences, and there might be slight variations, but I think that overall, you'll see some of the same things no matter where you go. So Dan, without further ado, I'll let you start. I
0: like to start. So I wanna kick this off on my end of things here, and number one, I've heard from a lot of traders going through, you know, the trading combine, the rules are really tight and things are tough. Um, I can promise you at any prop shop, your your rules and your restrictions and the contracts you're signing, a lot tighter. Um, granted, it looks like you have more cushion and more room to play, um, but you've got someone watching every move you're making, especially in the beginning of your career at a prop firm, they're watching every little step of the way. Um, Even to the big successful guys, I can tell you those are sometimes the ones that they have to watch the closest because they're putting the most risk on the table. Um, So there's those things, like even if you're the biggest trader at a firm and you're one of the most successful, you have some of the biggest eyes on you because everyone's watching exactly what you're doing. So it's just things to keep in mind. Like as you grow as a trader, risk management doesn't go away and sometimes it gets a little bit more
1: intense. Um, So my personal, oh, go ahead, Jack. I was going to say, Dan, maybe it'd be helpful, too, as we do this, describe also the size as far as uh, people at the shop so we can kind of, like, show what sort of levels are involved. So as you start to describe your place, maybe that'd be helpful. So we were a smaller firm,
0: the one I'm going to refer to. We were a smaller firm. We had about 20 of us trading there, um, and there was a lot of team trading. So I was on the yields team. Uh, we were trading yield curve, and... Uh, we had a head trader um he was like a 35 year veteran phenomenal trader he was like the guy that you just brought in if you were having a bad day and you call them up and you said his name was john and you go john i'm struggling hey don't worry i'll come in we'll make a quick couple grand and like he'd just come sit mm-hmm. at your desk make help you make a quick couple grand and you walk away and you're like wow that felt really good <laughs> i needed that um so that was our breakdown so you had john john was kind of our head guy but we also had another guy that was strictly a risk manager he did not trade and he had everyone's positions up on the board at all time and he knows each and every person's contract so for me i was a, when i started at the younger end of things like my size was relatively small trading yield spreads we weren't i was not allowed to put on huge positions when i was trading yield spreads max 5 to 10 lots um, which they're pretty big contracts i mean they're pretty expensive contracts as well and there's a lot of margin involved we were I was allowed to carry weeklies only, so I was not allowed to carry over a weekend and I had to be out of positions every single Friday. So we were allowed to carry a position Sunday night through Friday afternoon and we were big position traders. Um, and so there's step number one at Friday as I'm walking out of the office or if I was working from home, I'd call in and say, all right, I'm signing down for the day. Had to check in with the risk manager, let him know I'm out and we were shutting down and he would go pull up my positions, make sure everything was flat, double check what I did on the day. So we had that one. Um, risk limits. So we were percentage-based. We were not given a dollar value, say you cannot lose more than X amount. We were strictly percentage-based because we were building positions. Obviously, I'm not just outright trading the yields. I've got positions against it. I'm putting some options on
1: against it. I'm trying to control uh, that net position to grow. Would you see the entire, because I never traded options, so ours were not exactly this way, when you say percentage so you would see the total value of your position or were you able to see your total capital because that was a thing like we never saw uh, at our place we never saw the capital we were trading our pnl monitor was at zero and you would make money or lose money but you never saw what was going on as far as our like our actual stack so to speak that was kind of
0: so we were a little smaller.
1: Uh, our stack was right in front of us. I had five hundred
0: grand sitting in the account, and when we'd go a hundred up, we'd bring it back. We would pull a hundred out, but we'd bring it back to five. Um, so we okay. we had every person had basically their own separate account um, that had a stack of cash in it, and you could see everything. We were small. We were small time. You guys were big time. Um, you know, we were the mom and pop shop in a sense.
1: So when you say that you had a percentage limit, it was of that starting capital? Of my starting capital. Okay.
0: Um, So obviously every day you come in differently and every day it changes too, right? Like we strategize, so we had a team meeting every day at 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning um, and we would all strategize, what's the markets gonna do? Like we'd get together, we actually had a um, phenomenal strategist out of uh, Indiana. This guy was old school, like back to paper charts, like drawing him himself, um, phenomenal statistician. And we'd get on the call with him, his name was Howard, and we'd get on the phone every morning with Howard for about 45 minutes to an hour, and we'd strategize, and then we'd go, okay, today my limits are gonna be 10%, I'm gonna get 3%, I'm gonna go 5%, and then sometimes, you know, hey guys, I have a really strong position on, I I gotta open this thing up a little bit, I'm gonna go 15%. Um, We tried to create those limits. They were not hard stops because as soon as you start putting options on, too, you're based off of theoreticals. There's only one program really out there that gives you a good um, a good l because your P&L really doesn't get calculated when you're carrying position options until settlement hits. And then settlement hits, and you have to run P&L. So it's all relatively loose. So we're just watching it. We're. Risk managers really just watching market is moving higher or lower. Net position is long or short. How are they trading against this and what size do they have on? So that was really how it went. I'm going to give an example uh, of when things go wrong and the risk manager has to get involved. This was not me. This was another guy in the firm. He was trading uh, an unregulated Texas oil. Uh, There were not a lot of traders of this in the world whatsoever. It came out of four different plants in Texas. Um, It was a pretty unique unique style of trading it was a it was uh he was a big the big dog in the office um mm-hmm. and his contract was weeklies he was not tra- allowed to trade more than a weekly out he was trying to trade monthlies they had him locked into weeklies um and he had some risk limits put in place and he had contract size so he was not allowed to trade larger than four lots um, these were like every every tick movement was like hundred thousand dollars these were huge movements so we were, he would see seven-figure swings on a daily basis like it was nothing. Um, he, so he went ahead and put on a weekly position on a Friday, walking out of the office after checking out with the risk manager. So the risk manager cleared him, checked him out. He went and put a monthly position on on a Friday afternoon. Risk manager checked out after he said he was good, went home. Monday morning we all came in, and we heard that he carried a position over the weekend. It was... Um, I mean, it was an astronomical amount against. Um, He got locked out, tagged out right there. Security had to come get him out, and uh, we had to close out his position. And the hardest part was, the reason risk management rules are in place, we could not close his position because there was no one on the other side to fill the order because it was such, so few traders on this, and it was such an illiquid market. So we just kept watching this thing run against us. Um, Clearing firm was at our door, uh, knocking, trying to figure out what was going on. Bosses had to put up collateral uh, to cover the losses and prepay the losses before we even realized the losses. Um, All because this guy deviated from one little rule.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a pretty big F up there. Basically, all traders out there stay away from super liquid markets unless you are actually involved with them, right? I mean, this is the same thing happens if you go way out on the futures curve to those contracts in the future that exist but are not on the run yet you'll see hugely gapped markets there and there is some opportunity to be had usually from dum-dums putting in bids or offers at at some price not knowing what they're doing right i've seen it before i remember watching some futures market and our uh, ceo at the time got super upset that none of us like, lifted this random bid or offer. He's like, you guys should have known. Like, we're not even looking at these things. We're just trading (laughs) on the run. He was just pissed because somebody made, like, you know, $70,000 or something just by, like, picking off this one thing. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the similarities and differences between um, our places of employment in the past and then also tie it into the uh, rules we have with the trading combine. So, uh, like Dan mentioned, I traded... For about seven years, at places ranging from the first place I was at, we saw it go from about 40 employees to say 300 employees, of which usually about half were traders and then half developers and stuff like that. And then we were required by a place where I was trading that has like over 1,200 employees. Um, That's big. So big operation so here's what it looked like there and it's actually a little bit closer to the trading combine it wasn't percentages when you got your own account it was called you'd start off as a trading assistant you paid your dues for about a year and a half of which you were working overnight generally watching people's books overnight the actual traders and it was a big deal usually happened on like a january 1st when you got your own account that meant a you didn't have to deal around nights anymore which sucked and b (laughs) you could theoretically start making real money okay i like that you put the caveat of theoretically (laughs) i think it has to be it has because i think everyone uh i think everyone falls in the trap of uh extrapolating their trading performance of like i remember like the first month of trading my own account It was just a pretty good month in general. Not necessarily because I was great, just everything was kind of clicking and working in our favor in the markets. And just kind of extrapolating out like, well, this month uh, I did this, and uh, this is my first, so I'm only going to get better. And so this is the minimum uh, I'm going to make is like 12 times this this year. (laughs) I'm going to be a badass trader. Uh, That really wasn't the case. I'm going to be a millionaire. Literally, that's that's what I was thinking. It's like, this shit is easy. Um, It was not. Anyway, from a risk management, so they would start you out with a daily loss limit. We call them puke limits. It's really exactly like what we have in the trading combine. Ours was a fixed dollar amount. And as you made money, you could talk to the risk manager. We had the same format where, okay, you had trading assistants, traders, and then senior traders, which were the group heads. And then on top of everything, we had the risk manager who sat in his own office, like a little troll cave, and had everyone's position. So we had in our groups, you would have the P&Ls of everybody in your group. Theoretically, it was rarely done. You just need the other person and group's permission. You could go talk to someone and have them on your P&L monitor, but that didn't really happen. So we would see the group, the risk manager sees everything. It'd be a fixed dollar amount that as you made money, you could talk to the risk manager about expanding. We had two limits, both of which are rules in the trading combine, right? We had daily loss limit, which we call the puke limit, and we had position limits for each of the products we traded, the overwhelming majority of which were uh, different treasury durations in futures. Cool, so that's where it's set up. As mentioned, the differences, We had no idea, at our prop shop, we had no idea how much collateral we were working with or how much, um, how big our stack was, so to speak. When I came in each morning, if I had a flat position, like didn't do any trading the night before, it was zeros across the board. And as I put on positions, it would either go positive or go negative. And that's just money that I don't know where it came from, I don't know where it went, but it is now mine. And then um, from a risk management state, so we had those two, and then beyond that, what do you think about, so we get in trouble sometimes with the weekly loss limits we have in the trading combine. There's things that are similar in a professional shop, but uh, not quite the same. Like beyond your daily loss limit, if you blew out and got out at your loss limit, and then did it again the next day, that would be, not good. Not good. Because not. you're just expected, if you have a bad day and blowout, to be trading less. Like, say, today, I'm only going to lose at absolute most half of my actual loss limit. And if you continued to do that, you would never get to like a weekly loss because you would just be like told, stop doing that. What are you doing? You got to like size down. So uh, I presume you guys had a similar sort of situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say. Between the prop shop and where we're at in this retail world, whether you're in the trading combine or you're trading your own brokerage account, at a prop shop we had accountabilities. We were accountable to the, to the boss, the owners, the investors. We were accountable to them, Um, and like, we were a true employee. We were not doing our own thing. Like we had a lot of restrictions around when we were allowed to do it, how we were going to do it, you know most people did not get to do the work from home. Like you had to be in the office for the five forty five AM phone call. Like it was a real job and your job was to make money. And if you were not oh, yeah, making we that work money home. and covering your desk fees, you were you were gone. So let's say, like you said, Jack, you hit the puke limit on a Monday and if you come in on Tuesday, number one, like they're not no one's gonna say anything to you. Like, all right, well, you had a bad day yesterday. I hope today's a better day no like that, that's just the expectation like they had expectations that we were going to make money and if you didn't well it was not a you know well let, let's try this again let's keep pushing at it it was shut down the computer dis- disconnect your logins and you know turn off your key card to get in the building
1: yeah there was no work from home for us either maybe there was like two guys who were allowed to trade from austin for six months but they had been with the firm for maybe 10 years at that point. I think we that didn't you had, right. So
0: we all had to have setups at home and we would take turns okay. at night watching the risk boards.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, very fun. I'm trying to gather my thoughts on this. So um, I had something I wanted to say that you reminded me of right there involving. What was it, Dan? I'm having a- All right, I'll rephrase what I was, I,
0: I will say what I was saying again. It was, a, we had a, they had expectations. We were gonna make money. It was our, our legitimate job um, to make money. Um,
1: That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, you've jogged my memory now. Thank you very much. It was about the idea of desk fees or data fees. I think that there's maybe a misconception about how professional trading works. Uh, the thought being maybe that you don't pay those things, but you mentioned desk fees and you very much pay uh, fees to trade at the firm. You're a full employee with W2 and everything else, but if you're not covering that, and we're talking once you put in your data fees, your CME membership, your computer rig, whatever else they want to put in there, thousands of dollars per month. Maybe I think once again, I think I can say these things now. I think I was paying maybe $10,000, $12,000 a month in desk fees. So what makes it kind of a stressful job is if you're not clearing those desk fees, you are in a very uh, precarious situation as far as your future employment. So that's why it's a benefit to be able to kind of you know trade when you want and stop. And you should stop at a certain point, but uh you can only stop for so long before those desk fees start eating you. If Jack, if you miss desk fees on a month, let's say you didn't hit that
0: hit that number on January thirty first and you come in on February first, are they gonna say were they like hitting you up and saying, All right, Jack, you're two thousand short of desk fee before we can, you know, let your computer turn on, you gotta cover that two grand or will they let that carry over?
1: No, because it would just come out of so we didn't have I guess I could just explain this all now. We, our accounts, right? We knew we would get statements every day that said how much money was ours in our account. And we had to keep a minimum there that was way more than desk fees. Okay. Right. So it would just come out. The problem is you're just eating into your um, stuff at that point. And you talk about deals as far as you know what your back and forth is it, w- it was common those things so we were talking about your take home your part of that would be like after your desk fees 30 to 50 at the most percent of what you make beyond that is what you get so but i mean what you get with that obviously is it's a very different sort of trading um, we had a very very large fixed cost we had 100 plus developers And so for a long time, I didn't have a losing month. In in my six years of trading, I don't think I had a losing month until the end, like the last year. And I think that those things are obviously highly correlated. You might start seeing in your mind why I decided to call it the end right there. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is sort of how that all shook out. Yeah, we were far, we were yeah. pretty
0: similar in that. Like you had to keep certain amount in the account. What was yours versus what was the firm's? Then you like I think you brought up a good point too, right? After desk fees, you still have a profit split. Like just because let's say your desk fees are ten, you make twenty, you're not pocketing ten, then you got your split with the firm. And how that split works, that's different. So like we were team split. So we everything we had we made went into a pot. The bosses got their chunk out of the pot, and then that pot would be broken down. Like, okay, this trader gets you know, 10% of the pot. This one gets 5%. This one gets 12%. Like, And it was a breakdown based off
1: of where you fit in the team and how you contribute to said pot. I didn't do – obviously, you have to do that for options and stuff you were doing, but I didn't do team trading – until, once again, the last year. And I think that's another thing that mess. You talk about trading being all mental. Like, a lot of it was the environment, too. But I could not uh, that mess with my mind. Before that, it was purely eat what you kill, mm-hmm. as they say. And I was much better at just trading in general, managing risk, everything else, when I knew that I alone suffered the downside or the upside. When it was two guys who I was pretty close with at that point, you know, and one of them had kids and stuff like that, it I just I just could not do it. I don't know interesting, I found it for me, I found that like one of
0: the best things for me was like I had other people, and I felt more comfortable like talking about the trades I was taking. Um, when you trade a little bit more illiquid market, like a lot of times you don't want to really share your strategy that you're doing that's working um, because then mm-hmm. someone else is going to hop on and then that strategy is going to stop working as much but if you're all in this together like it's like hey guys I'm finding this level's hitting every single time as it breaks down here look to fill and we'll get that but whatever however you're looking at it or you know this butterfly spread is actually paying out really really well right now and I keep seeing a guy come in and hit this butterfly spread they're seeing a hundred every time I'm filling 25s, you get 25, you get 25, you get 25, and, like, we could start working this together. So we started working, like, strategies, and it felt kind of fun because mm-hmm. then you did feel, I would say, I felt kind of, like, beholden to the other guys to p- control my risk. And I also felt right. absolutely okay. Like, normally you never look over your guy next to you shoulder to see what his P&L is for the day. But when it, once we got to that point, like, I was very okay looking over his shoulder and smacking him upside the back of the head if
1: he was doing something wrong. From the risk management side, I get the team thing. I do because of what you said right there. Um, and also one final thing about that is the reason they would have us hold all this money in collateral is, once again, a risk management thing. You have a lot of power if they give you – access the market like that i mean if you go rogue and just start hitting bids and lifting offers as quickly as you can there's not much they can do about so they kind of have to have a minimum they hold over you to uh make sure you don't go nuts like we will do that episode in the mf global guys someday Mm -hmm. as robin wanted us too but uh, i think we can carry this over i'm gonna be out next week dan but maybe the week after that we carry over to talk a little more about this stuff because i I think we could go on for another hour. I think half I could. Like I right have now.
0: like 10 more questions. I like, I've, As we've talked, I was like, oh, I want to hear how it went with you guys and vice versa. I do versa. as well. I,
1: w- I want to talk more about this. Maybe we'll compare, uh, because I find it fascinating too to learn more about what you guys did as far as options and things like that. So we'll continue okay, this on. It. Let's but, do it. Prop um, for shop now, everyone, number two. Prop Shop part two. Well, it's interesting the reason we're doing all this is I think to kind of firm up how similar in a lot of ways what we're trying to do with the trading combine. We don't always succeed, but we are trying to sort of replicate the prop shop experience. And I think some of these, you know, rightful frustrations that people will have are also frustrations that professional traders have with actual prop shops because it's sort of the way the industry works and has to work because it's all based on managing risk. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we're all, you know, if you get a funded account, and you're actually trading the futures market, we are kind of beholden to you now. You are trading live futures in the market. And if you lose a bunch of money, it's not coming from nowhere, right? Right. So that's, <laughs> it's coming from uh, our kids' child or uh, college funds, right? Right. So um, that's why we kind of uh, can be, you know, into that stuff so let's continue this next week dan i'll let everyone off for now as we say at the end of an episode namaste and trade well we'll be back in two weeks thank you all for listening to the limit up podcast which is a production of top step it's our 10th anniversary celebration right now so go check out what we have on the docket over at topstep.com As I said, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Until then, keep on keeping on.